Today on Foodstuffs. We talked to the farmer, now we talk to the son. The heir to a hundred-year-old farm pays homage to the town that shaped him. Um, it's something that I'm, I'm really used to. It doesn't feel like work to me. It feels like just, uh, this is what we do. This is what we've always done. It's difficult at times, and it's dirty, and it's hot, but it's, you know, it's a way of life, and it is extremely satisfying. Hi, this is Andrew McGill from Glencoe, Ontario. You're listening to Foodstuffs. Welcome to Foodstuffs, a podcast about food and culture and their intersections. I'm Jessica Walker and I'm Brian Goman. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a little while, you would have heard the name Larry McGill, who is a farmer from Glencoe, Ontario. Brian, you talked to Larry in season two. It was a conversation about modern farming and why he decided to export his crops to other countries. If you care to listen, you can download episode 14 to hear more about modern soy, wheat, and corn farming. But the piece that's relevant here is how you had that conversation initially, which is through your friend Andrew, a.k.a. the subject of our interview today. Right, exactly. So I met Andrew McGill about five years ago when I was living downtown Toronto. I was living in a building with a lot of artists, and included in this bunch, there was this young guy who I later learned was the son of a farming family. And at the time, I just saw this young, energetic kid who was clearly creative, talented, and very inventive. And so fast forward today, it didn't surprise me in the slightest to hear that Andrew was involved in an annual photography festival here in Toronto specifically showcasing photos that featured his hometown of Glencoe, Ontario. Actually, way back when we did that interview with Larry McGill, Andrew was kind enough to let us use a portrait of his father on Instagram and on our website. It was clear that he was really in love with his hometown and his upbringing, so to hear that the Scotiabank Contact Photography Festival opted to showcase his photos, especially where they chose to hang them, makes complete sense to me. And So I guess we should explain a little bit more about the show. Um, through the summer until the end of August, visitors to the St. Lawrence Market. Which is a market that's been going on in one form or another since 1803 in this city. So at St. Lawrence Market, you'll be able to see these nine by nine foot prints of Andrew's photography. These are portraits of farmers, including his dad, uh, to photos of the local community fairs and other local characters. And they're sort of hanging in the main space of the market, the sort of main pedestrian walkway that goes right down the middle of, of St. Lawrence Market. So cool. Um, now, obviously, we talked about an art exhibit in last week's episode as well, just by chance. We seem to be nipping at each other's <laughs> toes this year or whatever. Um, but in that case, it was art that was initially created for another purpose that was eventually pulled together as a part of a show. In this case, this is photography that was created and is now being shown in kind of an unconventional space. So similar, but different, like same but opposite, equal exactly. but opposite. Exactly. And I is think that, that right was way? very interesting because we're looking at farming and we're looking at it in, a, in the same part of the country. Um, you know, Andrew and Larry are from Glencoe, Ontario. Um, the A lot of what we were talking about last week centered around Leamington, which is not very far away. Um, and yeah. this is sort of what's interesting and exciting about this format to me is that we could go and sort of dive deep last week into that perspective 
of migrant farmers mm-hmm. in that area. Mostly we're talking about migrant farmers in that area. Uh, and now here yeah. we are next week coming to a very similar space and we're going to share a completely different perspective. So I, yeah. I love that. And I love that we've done a lot of um, we've done a lot of talking about farming and the future of farming and future generations of, of farming. Um, talked about mm-hmm. farming in the city. So it just seemed like, you know, an opportunity we couldn't pass up uh, to talk about the son of a farmer who has a passion for photography that has both taken him from his hometown and also given the, him the chance to reflect on it and showcase what he loves about that place. Uh, so really special. So let's hear what Andrew has to say then. This is Brian talking with photographer Andrew McGill, originally from Glencoe, Ontario, here heard speaking from Brooklyn, New York. Glencoe is a small farming town in southwestern Ontario, uh, three hours west of Toronto, about an hour uh, from the winter Detroit border. Um, Yeah, I grew up on a a farm about five minutes outside of town, Uh, very rural area, lots of uh, farms. Um, that was kind of the majority of the industry there, farming and trucking, a bit of manufacturing, things like that, but mostly working class people. And yeah, there's a, a big community of farmers that all kind of uh, work together. You know, they have co-ops uh, in town where they kind of pool their grain. And um, I kind of got the sense growing up there that everyone was kind of in it together. And, uh, you know, if one farmer was doing well, uh, everyone was doing well, so everyone kind of they had a business stake in the grain markets and the cattle markets, and they they kind of all wanted to support each other. So it was kind of a special place where um, community definitely thrived. And uh, I had a great childhood growing up there for sure. It was a small town. I rode a bus an hour, I guess two hours every day to get to school and back. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Our audience will know uh, your family a little bit because we talked to your dad, Larry. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, McGill family connection and sort of a history of, of farming in Ontario a little bit? Sure, yeah. Um, my great-grandfather, uh, Fred McGill, purchased uh, some land in Eckford Township just outside of Glencoe in 1916. That was kind of the first uh, foray into farming. For my family, so, um, and then he had a family there. They worked the land. They had beef cattle, and uh, and my grandfather came along, Blake, um, who I'm also named after, and uh, and he took over the farm and continued that legacy, and um, expanded the the business. You know, bought bought land close by uh, across the train tracks where I grew up and where my dad also grew up on Century Drive. And um, then my my dad and my uncle uh, came onto the scene. That's Larry and Mark McGill. And they're now operating the farm in Glencoe. And they have been for quite a number of decades in the the Glencoe area. So they live um, kind of adjacent to the train tracks, across the train tracks from each other on the original McGill farm. So this is real, a true like family farm that's been um, sort of passed down generation ge- to generation. This is a, a story uh, people I think are familiar with, but also I think we're now familiar with the the new version of the story is that um, the younger generation of um, farming children 
aren't as interested in succeeding um, the, their parents uh, in being farmers and, and taking over that, that land. I want to know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's difficult, I mean, to get into the business, too, if, if you don't have that family legacy that's there. So I, I consider myself one of the lucky ones. I've been talking to a friend of mine who recently moved back to Glencoe, and he, uh, his family are, are long-time, you know, three or four generation farmers in the Glencoe area, and he's, you know, wanting to take over the farm. We kind of talk together and understand that, um, you know, the capital that would be required to even uh, purchase the land and, and the equipment needed to be a farmer nowadays is uh, it's really difficult. And at the same time, living in small towns, it seems there aren't that many opportunities for work. Um, yeah, you really have to to want to take over that that business, and you have to commit to it. You know, at, at a young age, if that's what you you want to do. Otherwise, you know, um, younger people are are going off to universities and in other cities, and they're going to find other opportunities uh, to find work, and they're leaving small towns, which definitely is true of Glencoe as well. And, and you're a son of a farmer who has um, decided, at least for now, um, to not go in, into that, that industry. Do you ever see yourself going back to it full-time and, and uh, eventually succeeding your father? Or do you think that you fall into that category of person who is, uh, it, it just isn't for them and isn't going to follow that path? Yeah, I've I certainly like romanticized the, uh, the idea of, of being a farmer and... I, I do enjoy it. I mean, the, for the past year, I've been living on the farm and I've been working. Uh, you know, I've been a part of the, the team uh, through planting and harvesting and, and maintenance and all that. Um, it's something that I'm, I'm really used to. and It doesn't feel like work to me. It feels like just uh, this is what we do. This is what we've always done. Uh, it's difficult at times and it's dirty and it's hot, but it's, you know, it's a way of life and it is extremely satisfying so yeah if, if I could find a way if uh, if I could carve out a path for myself and, and be happy being a farmer and uh, continuing that legacy I, I certainly would I think a few other things need to come into play in my life at this time my interests are a bit varied as I'm in New York right now and I'm I'm exploring the uh, photography business and, and that kind of career right now um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to be a farmer at some point in my life. Like I, I like to cite, uh, Peter MacArthur, who's, uh, a Glencoe native of the, around the turn of the century. He was a poet and a, a writer. He lived in Toronto in New York in London, England before he came back to Glencoe. And he was a champion of, you know, returning to the land and, uh, kind of championing the, uh, the humble, life of a farmer, you know, and the hard work that comes along with that and the satisfaction that comes along with that. And I really respected that. And he wasn't much of a a farmer himself. I think they called him a hobby farmer or something like that. He he just loved it. And so I, I think if I could do something like that, uh, I'd be very happy. That's interesting. That's, that's interesting you'd cite them because obviously, you know, you're somebody that's lived in in big cities too and sort of moved around you say you're in new york uh you've been in 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 toronto as well um and now you've also found yourself kind of coming back 
and that part of the reason that you left was because your interests are varied, as you said. And um, in a community like Glencoe, uh, really it's farming and not a lot else. I'm wondering about how you found art and culture and how those things, as in agricultural life and art, contrast and sort of also butt up against each other how do you what is that relationship between those those two worlds yeah that's really interesting um i think i think small towns or any community breeds a bit of of a eccentric type (laughs) and i think glencoe has always been the community to support that actually if you look back at peter MacArthur, and there's a few other other kind of eccentric characters that show up in these small towns I think that's part of it, just being a dreamer, and a lot of time on your own. Inspired by the, yeah, being inspired by the natural landscape, like the beauty of the landscape, and just being a curious, philosophical person. But yeah, there's not many outlets for that in a small town. I really think it was the internet um, that allowed me to kind of branch out and discover art. And uh, if it wasn't for you know, the dawn of the millennia and, and uh, you know, the internet age, I don't think I would have a, an arts degree. I don't think I'd be, be in New York right now. So it, the internet, like, connectivity is a really important thing, and I think it's getting better. And I think it's really important for rural towns, uh, rural communities to have great communications and, and you know, high-speed internet. You know, I'm actually working from the farm on photo projects now because we have such good internet connection out there that I can feel like I'm in New York even though I'm, you know, 12 hours away. That's interesting. That's interesting. What a, like, again, if you're from the city or the suburbs, something like that, like internet connectivity may seem very basic and sort of obvious, but, you know, rural communities, that is a, is a struggle, not just in Canada, but in the U.S. I know as well. So it's interesting to note that that would be sort of what opened up your world a little bit. The other thing that I thought was another uh, chance for uh, small communities to have their world opened up, and we talked a little bit about this last week, uh, was um, the influx of migrant farmers during um, usually, you know, like uh, harvest times and um, that it's essentially seasonal work where there are a lot of uh, people from Jamaica, a lot of people from uh, Mexico are traveling north uh, during the season um, to work, um, and then they go back to, to their country. And uh, we spoke to a group that was sort of fighting for migrant farmer rights, and, and the most basic thing they wanted to do was they wanted to be able to come here to this country as full residents right away um, and... and um, just become Canadian citizens and be part of that that community permanently. What do you think that would do to uh, communities? What do you What do you think um, an influx of permanent uh, migrant farmers would ha- have on uh, communities such as Glencoe? Yeah, I think that would be really interesting. I think it would add a lot of diversity to the small communities, and I think that's a really important thing to have, and that's really really the main thing that I miss when I'm 
when I'm away from big cities like New York and Toronto, you know, I love the diversity of the city. It's just so interesting. You know, you, you have this, this connection to someone who's so different from you are and has such a different perspective from, from who you are. And you can learn from that. And I think, um, if any, you know, I think everyone should have access to that. And, uh, if these migrant workers from other countries want to come into small towns and they, they can find a life for themselves and, they can make money and, and support a family. I think that's a wonderful thing. And, uh, you know, they could be embraced by the community and, and add their own flavor to that to that whole scene. I think that would be great. I think I, I remember talking to your dad, actually. I found it so interesting that one of his great loves is Thai food and that he grows yeah. a lot of, like, Thai vegetables. And when he <laughs> comes into the city to visit his son... He always makes sure he goes to the Thai restaurant and also the Thai grocery store so he can come back with his. Yeah. Where did where did that come from? And is that a I, unique I, thing <laughs> in for, you know, again, a community like Glencoe that may not have a lot of um, uh, exposure to things like Thai food? Yeah, I, my dad's a funny guy. I, don't, <laughs> uh, I love him. Um, no, he's, he's kind of, I think I cite him as uh, someone who's inspired my creative outlet. You know, he's got that in him. And I think the Thai cooking for him is its uh, evidence of his curiosity, you know, of uh, worldly cultures. And um, I don't know, he's, loved, he's a lover of sci-fi. Um, but we have family in Taiwan. Uh, and I think that's, that's also kind of inspired his, you know, worldly taste and, and uh, his interest in cooking. But he, I think he's always loved I just thought that was that was uh, so unique. So I wanted to actually talk. I mean, I went and looked at your your exhibition uh, uh, today. Um, how would maybe for somebody? We'll we'll post some photos from um, the exhibition. But how would you uh, describe it? Now I know you you haven't seen it fully installed, but you saw uh, the first few going up. How would you describe the uh, exhibition for for people that uh, that haven't seen it yet? Okay, so the exhibition consists of uh, 11 double-sided prints hanging from the main uh, atrium of the St. Lawrence Market in downtown Toronto. And uh, so that's 22 photographs, and they've all been taken in the community of Glencoe and uh, on my family's farm, on uh, farms of friends of ours. And it's, it's basically a showcase of, uh, of the rural community of Glencoe and uh, it's kind of colorful characters. I took photographs um, at community events such as like the fall fair in uh, at the end of September, um, a tractor pull that would happen in July. Uh, and just I had my camera with me anytime something interesting was happening on the farm. So I, I tried to capture the, that rural life as it happened around me. And that's what you see at St. Lawrence Market. And it's such a great fit for St. Lawrence Market because St. Lawrence Market really is um, the city's most long-standing connection to farming and to right to, to farmers as well. It's so uh, so fitting that it that's there. One thing that really came across to me was that, um, like I said, even though yet you're um, you're an artistic person and you're sometimes spending some time out of Glen Glencoe, you clearly have. Um, a great love of this place. Can you talk about Glencoe and 
how that has shaped you as a person and sort of what that means to you or what that value is to you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Glencoe's home for me. It's really where, where I came from, and it's, uh, it's the community and the place that made me who I am today. And a big part of, of me creating this project was, was to go back and to kind of pay homage to that and to say, you know, this is what matters to me. Um, when I was living in New York and I was working, I had this idea. I kept thinking back about my home, about Glencoe and the community, and I, I just uh, I wanted to make photographs that really meant something to me. And so I chose to photograph, the, you know, my hometown. What has the reaction been like uh, from your family and from the community? I understand that you've already been talking about uh, potentially bringing some of these photos back to Glencoe once your installation is done. Um, can you talk about what that response has been from your family and from Glencoe? Yeah, everyone seems to be pretty excited and, and curious about the project. Um, I'm kind of surprised, but uh, many, you know, dozens of people from Glencoe are, are planning trips to Toronto this summer to see the exhibit, and you know, I'm really flattered by that. I'm really happy that they're, you know, proud to see themselves displayed in, in uh, Toronto. And um, I don't know, I think it shows, like, a, a pride for the community and their kind of a respect for what they do and, and uh, how they live. So that makes me really, you know, happy to see that. And my family have been really supportive and uh, throughout this whole this whole project. Well, Andrew, it's uh, a really great exhibition. I really mean that. Um, I've obviously been to your farm before. I've met some of your family, and it was uh, it was great to see them up there. Great to see them represented. Great to see Glencoe uh, represented. Thanks so much for doing this, and uh, say hi to your dad for us. All right. Okay, I will. Great talking to you. Okay. That was Brian speaking with Andrew McGill of Glencoe, Ontario, about his show. I don't think we actually named the show before. No, I don't think it's we called, did. Uh, whoops. Um, it's Two Half Hitches Could Hold the Devil Himself. And it's currently on display at Toronto's St. Lawrence Market through until August 26th. So, so much time. And if you're in the city in the summer, who doesn't go to St. Lawrence Market? So, you got to exactly. check it out. Yeah, just look up. Just look up. I actually went and, and saw um, the exhibition um, yesterday. And it's really amazing. It is so fitting uh, for that space because if you don't know St. Lawrence Market, it's all these stalls and a lot of um, uh, farmers. And it, is, it has been the sort of the city's connection to uh, agriculture for... Mm-hmm. It's know, like a gateway of a Exactly. Sort. For over 100 years, really. Um, so it makes for sense. For almost over 200 years, bud. It's like... Two or nineteen oh three, eighteen oh three. That's me. right. That's right. Yeah. Oh my, yeah. Holy smokes! And um, I talked to some of the, the vendors there, and they were excited. And they they were excited to learn that you know, the photos were from Ontario, uh, Ontario farmlands, and an Ontario uh, uh, photographer, um, because that's again another focus of of St. Lawrence Market is sort of bringing local food to uh, the community. So a very cool tie-in. By the way, that mm-hmm. two and a half hitches, or two half hitches, a half hitch is is a knot uh, that you would tie like rope, whatever, and mm-hmm. it's a very strong note. So that's, again, like a uh, a funny little sort of homage to his 
farming past. Yeah, these- I read something about that being a saying that his grandfather would say all the time. Exactly. So, yeah, it's just sort of like we we trust the half hitch is my that's right that's <laughs> my right. read on that so, um it's pretty awesome so that was uh you know again i i uh had such a good time talking to andrew's uh dad uh larry uh a while back and uh you can see a lot of larry in andrew mm-hmm. um it's funny like i if we'll we'll post a photo of andrew andrew to me is like the epitome of what uh, a hipster looks like <laughs> and like what a hipster is or what people do. Uh, but then I learned I when I met his dad, I realized, oh, this is like a completely authentic thing because his dad yeah, exactly. dresses exactly the same, speaks exactly the same, well, is interested in all the same things, right? And I think- Even for us talking about Andrew, like when you met him, having a pet passion for tinkering with yeah, exactly. old telephones and old equipment and all that sort of stuff, you would think of that as someone who's like overly nostalgic for the past and, you know, is going to bring back the rotary phone, even though he never had a rotary phone. Well, no, that's not the case. It's actually someone that like has been taught his whole life how to take care of mechanics and the importance of taking care of mechanics. Exactly. And so if he's divorced from the farm where that would have happened um, in a practical way, well, not that fixing telephones isn't practical, but uh, yeah, then you understand that this is like a need in someone and probably someone that just sees, I'm not going to throw this out. I'm going to fix it. Yeah. And it's sort of fun to do. And like, uh, I mean, you sort of alluded to this, but as a farmer, you spend a lot of your time fixing things, fixing mechanical things, right? That's a big part of the job. People think of, you know, somebody on the tractor out in the fields, and obviously that's part of it too. But very mm-hmm. often, yeah, you are your own mechanic. You are your own your repairman. So Andrew would have grown up watching his dad do that and helping his dad do that. And, you know, when he came to the city, like you said, he ended up, uh, you know, had a little side business fixing rotary phones. He fixed bikes. He loves guitars and old cameras. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of that influence has come from his dad. The other thing that I thought was interesting is – how uh, Andrew sort of mentioned that connection to um, art through that and sort of reflection and, yeah. you know, being a little philo- philosophical. And I got had the, the pleasure of spending some time with, with Larry uh, out in the fields a little bit. And he sort of shared a little bit of insight into that. And he would talk about, you know, what he loves about the job is spending so much time outdoors and getting to to do things like watch the migration pattern of birds. So it just shows, you know, you're outside, you have time and you're often by yourself. So you have time to think and reflect. And, you know, sometimes that that can uh, lead to a lot of different things. And in Andrew's case, you know, it, it led him to um, photography and wanting to sort of uh, capture this 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 place. Well, I'm sure it's like that mixture, right, of the essence of someone who's questioning all the time and observing and like really trying to engage with the world around him and which in this case would be you know his folks farm but then also this piece of the internet coming in right and this is this is salient for um, our most recent episodes as well because you know we had that conversation with um the stonies in Attawapiskat and they said the same thing and it that's it's cool. Like it's we're at that moment in time and Andrew's just that much older that, you know, he's still seen the advent of the Internet. 
but then also is now at this point where this is him reaping the benefit of right. that exposure. Exactly. And that's that's what it is. It's, it's about, um, you know, having access. Again, we talked about access in Attawapiskat, and part of what was going to help turn that community around was greater access to the Internet. And again, this is a in the city, in the suburbs, we take this for granted a little bit. But certainly in rural communities, in isolated uh, communities, uh, this can be more of an issue. And certainly for Andrew, um, having that access sort of help open his world a bit and let him see parts of the world that, you know, he would have very little exposure to normally and Mm -hmm. has led him to be the sort of uh, cultured and uh, he's sort of like a renaissance man. He's just like, you know, like. <laughs> just into everything, right? And I think that I don't know how how uh, that would have happened if he didn't have that that access. So interesting to see, like you say, this is a little further down the line. Maybe we'll be talking to um, the next Andrew McGill, you know, in ten years. Uh, that uh, is currently a fifteen year old in in Attawapiskat or another community um, that whose exposure to yeah. this is is fuels something else. As high-speed internet kind of um, gets into more northern communities, more like isolated communities, yeah, it's only a matter of time. But you were saying that, yeah, this made him a renaissance man. I think that maybe farmers just are. I think they yeah, are jacks of all trade. Like it's it's like you said, if um, you know you need to be able to repair your own things, there's probably many reasons for that, right? There's a money factor. There's uh, isolation, depending on where your farm is. Yeah. Factor. There's you need somebody to fix like, it right now, and what am I going to wait for somebody and pay for somebody to come out here, or I'll just do it, you know? And as the machinery evolves, so do you. So, what you used to be able to fix with a wrench, now you're fixing with a computer. Right. Yeah. And now you got to exactly. learn that side of it. And um, certainly uh, Larry and uh, Andrew's whole family and well, the farming community in general has had to continue to adapt to that, continue to adapt to how the marketplace has changed. Right. And, um, you know, I think, again, from the outside, it seems like a romantic, simplistic kind of uh, life. Um, and in some ways, it, I think it is at its core. But the, there is a lot of interesting, intricate uh, things that you need to get involved with and that you can be exposed to um, when you're in a, a farming community. Absolutely. And you touched on it there, but I think that the future, you know, if we start to incorporate a working population into our own from away in the form of migrant workers that are allowed to apply for permanent residency. Yeah, just to be clear, like at this point in time, justice for migrant workers and um, these migrant workers are trying to appeal to the government to give them a pathway that is a little more direct to permanent residency. Um, And it would add so much it would add so much vibrancy and so much, yeah, culture and who knows what effect it would have. I was actually watching a movie the other night where uh, it is not that I might not recommend this documentary, but nonetheless, it was about winemaking in Napa Valley. And it um, was just referencing the impact of migrant work on the winemaking process, which right. is something that you consider something very 
you know, maybe elite. What I don't know what, like very expensive wine from Napa Valley is very expensive, and yet like the assistant winemaker is someone from away that came to Napa Valley that is influencing the taste and flavor based on expertise that he had right. working on farms and, and vineyards all over the world. And so that's another interesting perspective is like these people yep. are seeing practices and probably have so much to offer just as far as being a living record of of the way farming has evolved or the way farming operates over there. Maybe mm-hmm. there's something that we can learn as far as, you know, just the way we operate the farm itself that is relevant in Canada. And so that was just um, this little piece where it's so funny. As soon as we have these conversations, you just start it to just see all these yeah, things right. everywhere, right? Well, that's true because right so. now market farmers are just used as workers, essentially. So mm-hmm. we're not gaining anything from them other than their labor, really. Um, but I mean, if they're you and I position- say that. I think that's the outside perspective. But I would, I would put money on the fact that farmers are stoked when they have someone who's really engaged and just says like we did it this way over there and it worked really well and they're like yeah well if if that if that kind of a thing is happening that's great i think if farmers um uh from jamaica from mexico from places like this are able to come here and get residency and maybe even have the opportunity to start their own farm or uh, have play a larger role i think you'll see even more of that uh where you know, again, is it techniques? Is it uh, approach? Is it the kind of food that that uh, they're growing? That that can have a, a bigger influence, especially when their their status and their position is, is raised. And um, uh, you're right. I mean, as a outsider, I don't know how if they are being treated as as equals or not. My assumption is that they're sort of just being used, like I say, as as labor, but. Certainly, mm-hmm. these people are, are um, in a lot of cases, as we said, uh, people that own their own farms, people that have done yeah. this work and have a lot to, to share. Um, so that's interesting, the impact that it could have on the farming community and uh, the, the culture of farm communities. Yeah, exactly. We have lots of room and we need help. And that concludes another episode of Foodstuffs. Thanks. This week, of course, go to Andrew McGill. Andrew asked that we shout out his curator, Ben Friedman. So here we have it. Um, We'll be sure to link you to Andrew's website and to more information about the Scotiabank Contact Photography Festival on our site, foodstuffs.life. Thanks, as always, to Ken Stauer and Eric Betlam at CIUT. And as we mentioned last week, it's membership drive time again at CIUT. So if you're able, please be sure to support community radio by going to CIUT.FM to make a donation. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Foodstuffs Life or by searching Foodstuffs on Facebook. Or as I was just saying, you can always head directly to our website, Foodstuffs.Life. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play. Or just stream us directly from SoundCloud. I'm Brian Goldman. And I'm Jessica Walker. We'll see you next week.